0: Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I've been blessed in our Sunday school lesson, the devotional, and yeah, the singing too. I was just, yeah, pretty, um, it was just enjoyable to be here. Um, And I think about um, what God has done for us. I think about a new year. I get excited about who God is, especially in our Sunday school lesson, studying about the grace of God and the gospel. Um, And I'll say this before I get started, but two things I did not know before I consented to preach, and one was that it was New Year's morning. Um, So for you who are tired and want to sleep, I guess I'll give you an out this time. Well, I won't call you out or anything. Um, And the second one was I didn't realize that we're going to be in the book of Galatians um, before... I consented to preach, because I am going to start from the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to be um, yeah, preaching out of the book of Ephesians the next, I don't know how long, um, expository sermon going directly from um, all six chapters. I don't know how long that'll take, um, but I look forward to just diving in to seeing what God has for us in the book of Ephesians and if you know about anything about the book of the Ephesians, you know the first three chapters are full of theology, the last three chapters are full of practical living, and I don't think I would have chose to preach on any kind of theology on New Year's morning, but I am, um, so bear with me, and hopefully we can have a good time together digging into God's Word and seeing what God has for us. The title of my message this morning is, Christ's Wonderful Gifts to Us. And I'm preaching out Ephesians chapter 1, 7 to 12, so you can open up your Bibles to that section. Is the PowerPoint open? Okay. There's so much for us to be thankful for, and I think of a new year, I think about all the good things that happened last year. Um, We're extremely blessed people, and I know there's been um, a lot of things happen in this church that have been hard also. Um, But I think about God's wonderful gifts to us. Um, But I believe our gratefulness needs to start with what Christ did for us. I'm talking about the gospel, talking about what he gave us, um, especially thinking about the gospel. Today, I'd like to start the new year in the book of Ephesians and look at the wonderful gifts God has given. I had a devotional earlier, and I went through the first six verses of Ephesians. So I'm going to start with verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and go through um, verse 12 today. plan to do an expository preaching and just go right through the verses. Like I said, um, I memorize Ephesians and Quiz Team. I love the book, um, and I think probably, I'm not sure, I, I won't even say why I enjoyed the book so much, but we did pretty good that year, put it that way. Um, but as a young boy, I just thought Ephesians was quite a quite a book, and I didn't really realize how deep it is, the first three chapters, or what I'm getting into when I I'm consented to preach on Ephesians chapter 1. I think I probably knew a little bit, but um, yeah, there's depth in Ephesians, um, especially those first three chapters. I think it's so important for us to understand. It was good for me um, just to look into God's Word and see what God has in those um, first three chapters of Ephesians. And then the last three chapters, I look forward to just getting into the um, practical part of Ephesians. Quick review on Ephesians. I think I might have just gone over this review. I'm just going to go over just a quick few things about Ephesians, Um, Titicus brought the letter to the church of Ephesus when Paul was in prison, and it was supposed to be a circular letter to Asia Minor, to a bunch of churches in Asia Minor. Ephesus was a very prosperous city, beautiful temple of Diana, was one of the seven wonders of the world there in Ephesus. It was a very affluent and wicked city, maybe a little bit um, how we think of our country sometimes. Paul lived in Ephesus for quite some time, there was a strong, established church in Ephesus, and he loved the church dearly. He spent quite a bit of time there. Another thing we'll find out about Ephesians is liberal theologians don't like the book. I was kind of interested to see that when I found that out. They say the book is a little too hard, a little too high and a little impossible to understand. But isn't the gospel that way? Um, but actually, it's pretty simple, and for all of us to understand. The theme of the book is the church of God, the church, the body of Christ. And like I said, in verse 1 to 6, we saw that God the Father planned our salvation and chose us and made us accepted in the beloved. And then we come to verse 7, and today we come to God the Son, Jesus Christ, moved from God planning the church to God working in the church. And that's what we find today in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. To 12. We're going to see three beautiful gifts we get from Jesus Christ if we are his children, and you can see those three gifts right there. Um, but before we get into that, I want to just point out one more thing that I believe is important for us to understand, and that's the layout of the book. And I mentioned that just a little bit. The first three chapters are chapters of theology, and the third, last three chapters are cha- chapters of practical lim- living. I think some of you may be a little bit like me and would prefer the last three chapters because it's a little easier to understand. I remember um, growing up or even thinking about the book of Ephesians, I'd always like to go to the last couple chapters. First ones were a little hard to understand. There were verses in there I enjoyed, but just trying to figure out the first, second, and third chapter was a little bit hard for me, and I would prefer right to go to chapter four. But I have more recently realized that's a problem. And why is that a problem? That we're practical? No. It's okay to be practical people. But God specifically put those first three chapters there first for us to study, for us to get into. He chose them first because I think it's important that we get our theology correct if we're going to get our practical living correct. If you have... You may have heard the quote, recently I've heard this quote numerous times, ideas have consequences. I'd like to rephrase that a little bit and say, wrong understanding of God and His Word has consequences. It's important for us to be willing to dive into the hard parts of the Word um, and to understand the theology in the Word. I believe living out our values are very important, but it but if we don't understand the gospel like it's taught in the Word of God, how can we live out what we don't understand? And I realize as Christians, as newborn Christians, we're often, the gospel is meant to be simple, and I'll talk about that a little bit, but it's also meant to be understood. I believe the biggest reason the gospel is not understand is understood is because the devil don't want us to understand it. Um, if he can get us the gospel to be twisted, um, he has us where he wants us. And I think that's why Paul, in a lot of like Galatians this morning, as we're studying Galatians, Paul is confronting the Judaizers because they twisted the gospel. The devil is just trying to destroy the good and the great of the gospel. So today we're going to move into God the Father choosing us, or from God the Father choosing us to God the Son giving us the three gifts. And we're going to start with the gift of Redemption. God the Son, Jesus Christ, has redeemed us through His blood, verse 7. Somebody want to stand up right where they're at and read that verse for us? I think I'm going to try to do that this morning. There's only 12 verses, or there's only 5 verses, so I'm going to have somebody read each verse as we get to it. Anybody just stand up, do it quickly, keep us awake here this morning. Read verse 7. This is a beautiful verse for all of us um, to get. Go ahead, Chris. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. God the Son, Jesus Christ, has redeemed us through his blood. The debt of our sin has been paid for. I like what one commentary said. You can, either pay for your, you can either pay for your sins by yourself, or you can let Christ pay for your sins. Think about that. You can either try to pay for it by yourself, which you won't, or you can let Christ pay for your sins. I want to remind us again, I know we've stressed this before, but we can never be reminded of this too often. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be redeemed of our sins, Christ alone. The church of God has been formed through Jesus' nil-pierced hands and blood that was spilled on the cross. The church here at Weavertown, I hope, has been formed on that same um, thing, on the blood of Jesus Christ. The story goes of a fine, wealthy Lady, very prim and proper, came up to Dr. Campbell Morgan and said, I don't like to hear about the blood of Jesus. It's kind of repulsive to me and offends me. He replied, He said, I agree with you, but the only thing repulsive about the blood of Jesus is your sins and my sins that need to be washed by the blood of Jesus. I think that's so true. We have people in our country, in our world, who try to downplay the blood of Jesus. And the reason they do that is because they don't want to be confronted with their own sins. The only thing repulsive about the blood is our sins that have to be washed by the blood of Jesus. You see, sin is what is so repulsive to God. And it should be repulsive to us. Because the blood of Jesus is what's needed to deal with our sins. The entire Old Testament shows how sins need to be covered by the blood of sheep, goats, to appease God of of their sins. But the problem with the blood, but the problem was the blood never took care of their sins; it just covered them. And at that time, more blood was needed, as they always as they always continued to sin. And I love Hebrews chapter ten, verses three to thirteen. Um, maybe I'll just turn to that. Let's turn to that. I'll read some of that. Um, just covers this idea of of redemption so well. Hebrews chapter ten, starting in verse three. But in those but in those sacrifices there is no remembrance again made of sins every but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but the but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast made no pleasure. Then said I, Lo I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifices and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I came to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish a second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering, offering, Oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins, but the man, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. I think that says it well. Um, the primary work of Christ is to redeem us of our sins. Christ came to pay for our redemption. We were slaves, and He came to set us free. So what is redemption, actually? There's three words in the New Testament uses for redemption. I'm just going to go to what that word means here in Ephesians 1.7. Um, it means to liberate by the paying of a ransom in order to set a person free. This might be better understood in this story. There was a story of a slave girl who was bought and set free. The story goes like this. The story goes of a beautiful slave girl put on a slave auction block to be sold as a slave. A very mean, evil slave owner started bidding on her. There was also in the crowd a very gentle, kind man who started bidding also on her, and he outbid the evil slave owner. After he paid the price for the young girl, he began to walk away. The young girl walked after him. He turned around and said, I don't think you understand. I did not buy you because I needed a slave, but I bought you to set you free. Girl fell on her knees and said, I will serve you forever, kind man. And I think that's kind of a picture of us and what Christ did for us. By the forgiveness of sins. But the question needs to be asked, how can God forgive us of our sins? And we say, well, that's easy. He's God. He can forgive anything. But I don't think we quite understand that word forgiveness there. Um. Can God forgive us of our sins? The difference between human forgiveness and divine forgiveness is big. When we forgive someone, there's a penalty we deserve, and the penalty is wiped out. For example, a judge or a jury, maybe, um, may pardon a convict for his, something he did. and says, I'm going to let you go. I'll let you free. But in God's case, divine forgiveness is always based on the fact that there is was an execution of penalty, and the price was paid. We get the difference? We can say, I forgive you of something, and forgive somebody. God cannot do that. The penalty has to be paid. And we know the story of the cross. What was the penalty that was paid? Christ died on the cross for us. We can understand it was not just wiped out because God wanted to forgive us. Something had to take place, and that's what redemption is about. God took that place on the cross for us. He did all this, um, and I believe if you look at, I want to step back a little bit, in Isaiah 53, it's clear, he died for, by his stripes we are healed. All of Isaiah 53 explains God um, and what he did for us. But the verse goes on, it says, he did, this all, he did all this by the riches of his grace. Now we're talking about grace. And that question came up in our Sunday school class. What is grace? And I don't think I'm going to spend all morning trying to explain grace. I still don't have that comprehended very well. Um, but grace is, re- remember, grace is something we never deserve. We never, we are never getting anything we deserve. By grace ye are saved through faith, that not of yourself. And when God saved us, he did not put us in debt for his salvation. He bought us to set us free. That's grace. Bought us to set us free. Our serving him is not a debt for what he did for us, but because we are overwhelmed by what he did for us, we serve him. I think it's important for us to understand that. Sometimes we think we serve him as a debt. No, we serve him because we're overwhelmed for what he did for us. And when we think about what Christ did for us, it makes us want to serve him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You get that? He didn't say, you are in debt to keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our love for him drives us to keep his commandments. That leads us to the next one. He revealed the mystery of his will to us. And somebody want to stand up and read verse 8? Let's get one of the youth to do that. Keep you awake. I know you were up late last night. Somebody... One of the youth stand up and read verse 8. He have revealed the mystery of his will. Thanks, CJ. We're in yet the bow before us in our wisdom forgiveness. Okay, we're in here. You know what? Read the next verse right away. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Okay, the second gift we have is Jesus Christ revealed a mystery to us. He revealed the mystery of his will. You say, "What's That's not that big of a deal. He just tells us something. Um, I'd like to say understanding the gospel is a big deal. It is a gift. It is not only just an understanding and our studying of it, but God, through the Holy Spirit, lets us understand the gospel by his word. And I think we should see that as a gift. And that's what it says here in verse um, 8 wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. Do we see that as a gift? Do you ever see him revealing that mystery to us as a gift? Do you realize all the Old Testament, for thousands of years, they didn't understand the gospel like we can today, um, like he gives us the opportunity to do today? In the next three verses, we have been redeemed. We get to the part of understanding God's great plan for us in the whole world. Not only do we get to understand the mystery, but we get to understand our part in that mystery and what God has for us. He gives us the plan. The first thing God does for us after he saves us is he gives us a plan. Now at camp, we always said before we went on any trip, we had to plan it. We had to have a plan. Um, you plan, you do, you evaluate, we said it over and over. Um, but God gave us the plan. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to get the plan. He starts by pouring out to us all wisdom and prudence. He not only gives it to us, he gives us with wisdom. And the word prudence means understanding. Okay. So the gospel was given to us for us to understand um, God gave us wisdom and understanding about his mystery, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, that mystery becomes revealed to us. I believe there was a time in my life where I was not sure I really cared to know wisdom and prudence. But is that really okay? Should we really not care that much about what the gospel... If we say, well, you know, I really don't care about that deep stuff of the gospel. Well, I'd like to come back and say it's not that deep, number one. But if we don't care about it, where are we at? Who are we? Are we really in Christ if we don't care about the gospel he gave to us? Should we desire God's wisdom and prudence? Are we really saved if we don't care about how we're saved? Wisdom not only is knowing what is good for me in Christ, but it helps me apply it in my life. It's, able, it's being able to apply God's grace in my life. And I like that thought um, a way for us to, and how do we do that? How do we apply God's grace? I think there's a lot of different ways we could probably give give some, but there's actually some verses in the Bible that actually explain that. Romans 15, seven. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So we should receive each other. Ephesians 4, 32, we all know. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. Okay, So we see this thing of, Giving grace, the grace that God gave us, passing that on to others. If we understand God's grace, we can and will extend it to others. Next one is He makes known unto us the mystery of His will, verse 9. Somebody want to read verse 9? Stand up, somebody, and read verse 9 for us. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath in Himself. So what is that mystery? Wish we were in Sunday school class, we could break this apart and open it. Um, when we find mysteries in the Bible, they're not like mystery stories or figuring out some kind of crime scene, something to be solved. But a mystery in the Bible is something that is revealed to us that was never revealed before. Do we understand that? There's actually a lot of commentators, there's maybe a a, a difference in opinion on how many mysteries that have been revealed when Christ came. but. There's nine of them that um, a lot of them agree with. The mystery of godliness, the mystery of Israel's blindness, the mystery of his will, which we're talking about today, the mystery of God in Christ, the mystery of faith, the mystery of Christ in the church, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of Christ, and the mystery of, rap- of the rapture. These all are mysteries that were revealed in the New Testament. That'd be fun probably to try to break each one of those mysteries apart and understand them. Um, we're not going to do that. Even with these mysteries that have been revealed, we know there are many that still aren't revealed to us, but the New Testament, there's many mysteries that God revealed because of Christ in the gospel. I believe all these mysteries have to do with the gospel and the goodness of God's grace toward us. This is the redemption we're talking about, God's indescribable gift. God's grace becomes very simple to us who have faith in him. The mystery of his will for us as redeemed Christians. And I'm going to make that point again. When we receive the gospel, it is done in a very simple way. It's given to us very basically, very simple. God's grace is not for the Gnostics who Paul confronts later. And Anybody know what a Gnostic is? Gnostic is somebody who has higher learning or higher knowledge. It was a heresy that we still find today. It says you need to have high knowledge and high learning to actually understand the gospel. That's not true. That's heresy. The gospel is made for each one of us to understand and to um, accept. It's important to understand the gospel as something simple. Saying that, it's also important to understand that there's depth to the gospel. And the more we study it, the more we get into the depth of the gospel. And I think we should all do that. God wants us to seek his word, to understand the mysteries revealed in the New Testament. When we become Christian, God revealed the mystery of his will to us. We can understand salvation and how he redeemed us or brought us um, or freed us so we can live for him and someday be with him in eternity. Our salvation is the mystery of his will for us. Understand that? The salvation, the gospel, is that mystery of his will that we should understand. That leads me to the next one. He reveals unto us his great dispensation. This is one of my favorites um, in quiz team and when I was younger. Um, somebody want stand to up, stand up and read Verse 10. I love this verse. It's still exciting today. Go ahead, Ivan. Now, that's a pretty deep verse, but I think what we understand in that verse is someday all things are going to change. That's the simple, basic answer to that verse someday everything will be changed everything will be made new after covid year or during the covid year i think i was um more excited about that verse than ever someday god's going to come and fix the world we live in that word great dispensation um, means a new wonderful system is put in place it's not that hard of a word it just means a new system everything will be made new and there will be a new system put in place that's exciting What message do we as Christians have when we read this verse? Dr. Martin Lloyd says it this way according to these verses in Ephesians, Christians have been given the ultimate revelation that gives us unique, supernatural perspective of everything. What natural humanity cannot see or understand, God has revealed to Christians this profound mystery. You understand that? We have been revealed something other people don't have because we have received the gospel. Um, and that's the mystery of his will. Our redemption not only he, is not only here, but there's also a much greater redemption coming when God gathers um, us together. And I think we need to understand this verse has two full meaning. We have a redemption here, but we're going to have a greater redemption when we get to heaven. So let's go to um, the next part. He rewards us with his inheritance. And that we find in verse. Um, 11. Somebody want to read verse 11? Go ahead, Mike. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay. How does God reward us with his inheritance? Our redemption and debt removal has caused us to be heirs of God's inheritance. So think about that. Our redemption... Our, when God, when Christ saved us, we then became his sons and daughters and became and received his inheritance. Paul does not leave us to wonder how we are to access and participate in this inheritance. Go back to verse 13. Paul begins with, when ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the word of truth is the means to our salvation. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Um. So how do we receive that inheritance? Hearing from the word of God, believing in Jesus Christ is how and why we can get access to his rewards. Our inheritance comes from our faith and trust in him. But what is that inheritance he's talking about in verse 11? I think that's the part we need to um, grasp and get a hold of. There are many verses in the Bible that talk about our inheritance in light of heaven. And I think that's right. Okay. Verses like um, what, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not for your men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance, that's your, your reward. Um, I have four, three or three more verses like that. But I think this verse here is talking about a, a inheritance we have today. So this is a reward that we can receive today. Um, Lord has taken you and bought you out of the iron furnace. Um, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are today. That's found in Deuteronomy 4.20. Another verse in Deuteronomy says this, for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. So what is this inheritance we can receive today? Now that was talking about who in Deuteronomy? The children of Israel. We're Gentiles. We don't get that inheritance, do we? Or do we? When Jesus came he did exactly that. He gave us, as Gentiles, an opportunity to receive his inheritance. And I think sometimes we forget that. We think it was owed us. We think we're Christians, we deserve his inheritance. But none of us, if we are Gentiles, should have had a chance at his inheritance until Christ came and changed that. And that's specifically what he's talking about right there. He's saying that we, his children, now we as Gentiles, he's were Gentile Christians in Ephesus, Have a chance at his inheritance. And why? Because God gave salvation to all of us too, if we receive him. For as many people, for they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out with a price. I want us to see that God's people were his inheritance. Israel was regarded as the Lord's inheritance and portion. What made Israel special over the Gentiles? God's relationship with Israel, and he gave that to us today. You belong to God, and that means something glorious. I Came across a story that illustrates that fact maybe a little bit. Um, there was a boy born to an unwed mother, and he had a hard time growing up because every place he went, he always was asked the question, Hey, boy, who's your daddy? Whether he was at school or the grocery store or anywhere he went, they asked him, Who's your daddy? A question that many of us have asked us today. When he was 12 years old, a new preacher came to the church. He would always go in late and slip out early to avoid hearing that question, who's your daddy? But one day the new preacher said the benediction and he got back um, to the back of the church quickly. And just before, and just about the time he got to the back door, the new preacher, not knowing anything about him, put his hand on his shoulder and asked, son, so who's your dad? The whole church got deathly quiet. He could feel every eye in the church looking at him now everyone would finally know the answer to his question, who's your daddy? This new preacher, though, sensed the situation around him. Using discernment from the Holy Spirit, he said to the little boy, wait a minute, I know who you are. I see your family resemblance. You're a child of God. With that, he patted the boy on the shoulder and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. And I think we need to understand we are God's children we are a child of god that's an amazing inheritance that's one we should be thankful for and grateful for god has made it possible through jesus christ and the cross for us to belong to him do we ever stop to think about how god can look at us with our mountain of debt and sin and forgive us and make us heirs of his glorious promise you see god solved the problem of sin for us we should stand amazed at that truth God's soul, we should stand amazed at that truth. We cannot ever lose sight of the beauty of belonging to God, being the people of God. God is with us. He is our God, and we are his people. Our sins make this, our sins make this impossible, but because of the blood of Jesus, this is possible. We should also be asking the question, why did God really do this? Why did God save us? You ever think about that? Why did he save me? Why did he save us? Why do we as Gentiles have a chance to be part of his inheritance? The answer is clearly found in verse 12. And I think this is very important for us to understand. Sometimes we think he saved us because, well, we're kind of special, at least a little bit. We deserve a little bit. Or sometimes we think he saved us for our good. Is that really why he saved us? Somebody read verse 12. And it gives us the reasons for the gospel. The reasons for salvation. Go ahead, Omer. That we, Christ, be to the of we understand that? So this gospel thing, I think, sometimes gets twisted in our country. And we think this gospel thing is about me. So I can be saved. Is that what it says? Now, I'm thankful I can be saved. I'm thankful I can be part of his kingdom. I'm thankful I can have... Part of his inheritance, but why are we saved? To the praise of his glory. Okay? So this whole thing is about to the praise of God's glory. Because he works all things after the counsel of his own will. But what does it mean to work all things out after the counsel of his own will? Why does God do that? God is very personal. He has a will and a mind. He is not an impersonal force, but he is a personal God. He cares about relationship. He cares about things. God is also very sovereign. He is sovereign in his, and is sovereignly powerful over all things. There are no accidents with God. He works everything after the counsel of his own will. He does everything with a plan in mind. An interesting little, maybe I like, i got to give you this little story. It uh, might apply to this a little bit. I love this. There's this cowboy who went for health insurance policy one day, and after... He got there. They asked him the question: "Have you ever had any accidents?" After a moment's reflection, the cowboy responded, "Nope. Just got a bronco. Did kick into my ribs last summer, and a couple of years ago, a rattlesnake bit me. Wouldn't you call those accidents?" He replied. "Replied the puzzle agent. Nah," the cowboy said. "They did it on purpose." And I know the story is humorous, but the story reminds me of a biblical truth: that there's no accidents in the lives of God. He didn't do anything out of accident. God did and does everything with a purpose. And we know the verse in Romans 8 28. All things work together for good to them that love him, who are called according to his purpose. Um, and this verse right here, Romans uh, Ephesians 1 11, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Salvation, the gospel, us being saved, is done after the counsel of his own will. And what is God's will? that we should be to the praise of his glory. Now, I know verse 11 is talking about the Jewish Christians, but we find in verse 14, he's talking about the Gentiles, and he says where he says, we do it for the praise of his glory. God wants everything that happens in our lives to be to the praise of his glory. He gave us redemption. He revealed his plan. He made us his children, receiving his inheritance, and he did this all for the praise of his glory. like to conclude with the last verse there, 12. As we conclude our service today, God has brought us into an inheritance and made us belong to Him. And why did He do that? He did that all for one reason, so He could be glorified. When we glorify ourselves, we're stealing glory from God, even in our salvation. If we truly are sons and daughters of Christ, and if He has made us heirs, we are part of His glorious inheritance, then we are then we are to live to the praise of His glory. We are to live our lives to praise and glorify Him. Do we believe that? Is that real in our lives? Will we be doing that in 2023? When we think of salvation, when we think of the gospel, are we going to do that for the praise of His glory? Are you living to praise God? Is what you do every day to praise His glory? I know if we're truly honest, we're probably doing a lot of things out of selfish means too often. Um, God desires for us to be true. If we are truly saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ, that we should be living to the praise of his glory. And just remember, Jesus Christ has redeemed us through his blood. Our debt has been paid. Remember the mystery of his will has been revealed to us. And also remember we have received his inheritance We can say and know we are part of God's family, and when we remember that, it should give us a great desire to live our lives to praise Him. Now, I could probably spend the next hour talking about um, how we live that out, and that comes to the next verses. The next verses, I think you know those verses, or some of you know what we're coming to next. The next verses talk about the Holy Spirit and how we live out Um, how we can praise God and live out our lives for the honor and glory of God. And we'll get into that as we um, get into the last part of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's kneel together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for your wonderful gifts to us, Um, the gift of salvation, the gift of redemption, um, and also that you've revealed to us your mystery, Um, and for your wonderful inheritance you've given us. God, help us the upcoming year, 2023, to live our lives to glorify you, to praise you. Um, Help us to do that um, each day in the way we live, and thank you for the group here, each individual, each piece of the puzzle, each gift you've given each one. um, Help us to live out the gifts you've given us to praise you. Thank you for your faithfulness in 2022 and your faithfulness in our lives, and Thank you that we can know that you will be faithful in the upcoming year. Um, Just watch over us, keep us in your care, and thank you again for your wonderful gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.